A word before we get started with today's episode of NTM Talk. While it may go without saying, it's important to remember that all views expressed in this podcast are the opinions based on the experiences of the participants and should not be construed as medical advice. If you have questions related to your own health, please contact your provider. Hello, and welcome to another episode of NTM Talk where we have in-depth discussions on non-tuberculous mycobacterial lung disease and bronchiectasis. I'm Dr. Colin Swenson. And I'm Dr. Wendy Drummond. And today we're going to take a deeper dive into hemoptysis, or uh, what's informally called coughing up blood. We're going to dig into this a little bit further based on your feedback, listener feedback, basically wanting us to talk more about what it means. What does hemoptysis mean? How much is too much? When should you be concerned? When should you pause airway clearance? And so forth. I'm going to start things off by giving you an overview of hemoptysis from a pulmonary perspective, and then Wendy will talk about it from an ID perspective. That way you get both sides of of the coin. So to start with, it helps to know that there are actually three different kinds of blood vessels in the lung, but we're only going to talk about two today because these these are the source of most bleeding and bronchiectasis. It also helps to know that the bronchi or the lower airways are surrounded by both types of these vessels. One are the pulmonary arteries. Now, the pulmonary arteries are, it's a low pressure system that carries deoxygenated or sort of spent blood from the right heart to the lung tissue to pick up oxygen. Blood is usually dark red because of the depleted oxygen content. Now, even though it's low, these are usually low systems and smaller blood vessels, they may become enlarged and higher pressure in advanced lung disease, especially if that advanced lung disease results in the need for supplemental oxygen. These blood vessels may become very enlarged as well, making them highly pl- uh, prone to bleeding. The, the second type of blood vessel that we're going to talk about are the bronchial arteries. Now, these are a different type of blood vessel. They're a higher pressure system. They usually arise from the aorta, which is the main blood vessel in the body that takes blood away from the heart. The blood from this type of bleed is usually bright red and is usually much more copious. It's also, thankfully, much rarer. In terms of what hemoptysis means, it's always good to start with sort of a basic definition. It's coughing up any blood from the lower airways. And when I say the lower airways, I mean below the level of the vocal cords. And there are really three different types of bleeding, um, but we're, we're going to focus on two of them. The first one is non-life-threatening Uh, what used to be called minor hemoptysis. And the second type is life-threatening, or what used to be called massive hemoptysis. Um, The third type, which we're probably not going to get into too much, is called pseudo-hemoptysis. And that's really just aspirated blood from, say, a nosebleed or or refluxed blood from the GI system like the stomach. So we're not going to go into that in too much detail. But the first type, which is the non-life-threatening or minor hemoptysis, it's usually the blood that's mixed with sputum. It may be streaked. It may be mixed in. Um, Blood can be on its own. It's usually dark or clotted, and it is the most frequent type of hemoptysis that we see in bronchiectasis and non-tuberculous mycobacterial lung disease. 
The second type, as I mentioned, is life-threatening, um, which also you may uh, hear called major or massive hemoptysis. And again, this is sort of, uh, it's, it's, it's a little bit hard to quantify how much blood is, is, is life-threatening or massive. Generally, the definition is more than about 150 milliliters of blood in a 24-hour period, which uh, is, is about half of a small water bottle. Now, the blood may be darker red, it may be bright red, but it's usually frank blood. It's not typically mixed with sputum. This type of bleeding, fortunately, is rarer in non-tuberculous mycobacterial lung disease and bronchiectasis unless there's more advanced disease. And 90% of these bleeds are actually from the bronchial artery system. In terms of, of causes, because I know that that's what many of you uh, have, have inquired about or asked about, the main cause in terms of uh, hemoptysis is acute bronchitis uh, and bronchiectasis. Those are the, the most common causes of, uh, of hemoptysis. Also common, though, are pneumonia or lung abscesses can cause bronchiectasis. Certainly lung cancer can cause it, especially if the tumor infiltrates the airway. And then, of course, TB and other infections in, uh, are a common cause of hemoptysis in developing countries. And so what does it mean? And this is, this is where Wendy and I will sort of give our, our opinions uh, based on our respective specialties. Um, but from the pulmonary standpoint, uh, it's very, very commonly encountered in bronchiectasis. Usually, we see streaked blood streaking the sputum or mixed in with the sputum. And listeners, guess what? That can happen even without an acute infection. These airways in bronchiectasis can be irritated just at baseline. There can be inflammation going on, and that can occasionally erode into a small blood vessel that may cause streaking of blood in the sputum. Now, larger amounts of bright red blood or clots usually signal an exacerbation, most often caused by an infection. So we don't want you to ignore that. Now, remember I said that chronic inflammation of the bronchi causes, I guess it's not a medical term, but we'll just call it what it is, angry mucosa or lining of the airway. And this can result in scar tissue forming and derangement and widening of the airway. That's what we call bronchiectasis. And remember, again, what I said, there are two types of blood vessels surrounding the bronchus or the lower airway. If the inflammation or infection is bad enough, it can erode into one of those vessels resulting in hemoptysis. So again, this can be a sign of infection. So from a pulmonary standpoint, hemoptysis can single, uh, signal a number of different things. But since we're talking about bronchiectasis, we're usually talking about Wendy's wheelhouse, which is infection. Is that my cue? That is your cue, Wendy. <laughs> Absolutely. So tell me, from, a, from, an, from an ID standpoint, it, does it differ from the pulmonary standpoint? Well, I, I'm going to say yes, maybe. Good, good, because then we have something to talk about. Yeah, yeah, and I, I don't, I don't want to get caught being agreeable all the time either. <laughs> never, never. <laughs> in, the, in the beginning when you were doing the introduction, I almost wanted to interject when you said the word we. I said, well, hmm, no, I think this is more the, the Collins show today <laughs> because it is more of Collins' wheelhouse. But as per usual, I do have thoughts and opinions on these things. I would expect um, no less. Based on experience and uh, science, of course. Um, 
so so I said yes, maybe. And and really what that means is that I have encountered occasionally a, a pulmonologist who equated hemoptysis in a bronchiectasis patient as an always infection. And, and I guess that's that's really what I the, the caveat that I'm bringing up because it doesn't always mean infection, right? right, um, right. It, it can be infection. And so then, of course, I think the natural follow-up question to that is, well, how do you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. How do you know? Oh, I and see. This is where we're really getting into the ID meat of things. You're going to say culture. Of course, but of course. you like you like them too. <laughs> I, I listen. We've talked about this. I believe yeah. that was the one about the sputum. We love yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. I think that might be our all-time uh, most popular episode, the one about the sputum. And, indeed, indeed. Right. So, um, so a few things to think about in patients who have a known history of bronchiectasis and and or recurrent episodes of bronchitis. You already referenced the fact that they can have intermittent streaky blood in their sputum. And I would say that that's probably the most common presentation. Although some people will report that they have smaller, darker clots of blood. And I'm sure that you're going to talk more later. I mean, to give some parameters about, you know, when to worry and when, when to call someone and when to go directly to the ER. Right. But, but, you know, generally speaking, patients will have intermittent streaky hemoptysis is what I refer to it. Correct me if I, if there's a better term. Um, I think streaky pretty much sums it up. Right. And I don't find it all that concerning, but I always try to quantify, well, well, how often is it happening? Is it every day? Is it every hour? Is it every time you cough? (laughs) You know, how much that all of those things. Um, But then also trying to ascertain is a particular patient having other signs and symptoms that I think would be more compatible with infections. Cause some, some people might say I'm having some streaky hemoptysis or my sputum has streaks of blood in it, but I feel completely fine. Right. I'm at my baseline. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. There are some patients who will say, well, you know, that the character of my sputum has actually changed, or, or maybe I'll say the word character, but it, but they'll say something to suggest that, you know, there's features of, of their sputum that's changed. Maybe it's thicker. Maybe it's, it has a green, t- green, thick tinge to it. Maybe it's more copious. Um, so I think it's helpful to try to tease out if there have been any changes to the characteristics of the sputum. And then how is your patient feeling? If, if, they're having more fatigue or, um, you know, having paroxysms of cough or their increased cough frequency. Now that can be a little bit difficult to parse out sometimes because a lot of our patients, if they're coughing more, they will have more hemoptysis, right? So trying to, to tease that out from symptoms of infection. So there may be some changes to the character of the sputum. They may report more fatigue or just feeling unwell. And then additionally, we want to obtain uh, we want them to send or submit sputums for culture to the lab. Now, in a patient that I know really well, I may just have them send in a, a solitary specimen and only analyze it for routine bacterial pathogens. And we, and I think we discussed that in our, in our the one about the sputum, that you know we could be looking for. S- staphylococcal species or pseudomonas or, you know, other new bacterial pathogens that would really point more to infection being related to that, this particular bout of hemoptysis. Oh, was that my cue? I, yeah, I, 
Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) I could keep going on. (laughs) No, I'm glad. I'm glad you, you mentioned all of those things, you know, because I did leave out the constitutional symptom piece of it. So blood can occur in a vacuum, but typically there's also increased coughing. There can be increased fatigue, fever, and you're absolutely right, Wendy. All of those are concomitant signs of, of infection or of exacerbation. And so, you know, getting a, a sputum specimen, even by the way, if it's a bloody sputum specimen. So I will tell you, I've had my patients, uh, you know, get worried about submitting a sputum sample that's just frank blood. And I tell them, we can still use that. We can still culture it. Uh, the lab folks may look at it with raised eyebrows, but uh, if there are bugs there, they will definitely grow. Yeah, yeah, they absolutely will. The other thing is, is that um, depending on the chronicity of this and, and other features of the illness, it may prompt us to get a non-contrasted CT scan of the chest um, because there are, you you already referenced tuberculosis, you know, that that's one of these must not miss diagnoses, but it's also something that you learn about in medical school, that if a patient has hemoptysis, think TB. Now, I would say, generally speaking, in the vast majority of our patients, we we know that if AFB show up on a smear, it's probably not going to be TB, but a new patient coming into the hospital with hemoptysis, it, you know, it certainly could be. But there are other infections, such as invasive fungal infections due to aspergillosis, which yep, can- I'm glad you- Glad, right. glad you mentioned that. And we have some patients with advanced bronchiectasis who do form an aspergilloma. Exactly. And or a fungus ball. Yeah. It, it appears as a cavity on the CT scan, and it looks like there's a, a dense white ball in, in that cavity. And so, you know, diagnostically, um, there are certain uh, compatible radiographic findings that we see. And then certainly if we're isolating aspergillus or perhaps another fungal pathogen, also from the airways from fungal cultures, that can help establish the diagnosis. But certainly we, we can often see a hemoptysis associated with this. Yes. And that, that type of hemoptysis, it, it, sort of bears uh, repeating can be, that can be life-threatening hemoptysis with the aspergilloma or this fungal ball, because that cavity can get so large that it can actually erode into a bronchial artery, which again is that high pressure system that comes off of the aorta. And so you can definitely get a lot of bleeding and that is a cause for concern. Absolutely. And, And many of these patients, and I would say the vast majority, if they if they are good candidates, we would certainly consider surgery as an, uh, a main option for treatment in these patients, depending on the size of the cavity. Yep. Yep. I've sent a number of patients for resection of aspergilloma for that very reason. And usually those patients do very, very well uh, because these fungal balls tend to be contained in just one area of the lung, usually the upper lung. Yeah, they, they absolutely do great by and large. And, you know, we do typically start antifungal therapy. If some of you are wondering out there, like, well, do we do anything else other than the surgery? Yes, we do treat with antifungal therapy. Um, but in the vast majority of these cases, we're typically not successful with antifungal therapy alone. And I'm, I'm really straightforward with my patients in these discussions of, you know, um, because a lot of times the pulmonologist and or the patient will say, ah, I don't want to go to surgery or can we try this first? And I'll say, well, we can, but in my experience, dot, 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 mm-hmm. probably going to need mm-hmm. surgery. Absolutely. And there, you know, there are some factors that can make 
people with bronchiectasis, even more mild bronchiectasis, a little bit more prone to bleeding or having these episodes of hemoptysis. One of them is therapeutic anticoagulation or blood thinners. Um, Some of our patients may have atrial fibrillation. They may have had uh, blood clots in the past, and they may be on, say, Eliquis or or Xeralto or Coumadin or Heparin or Lovenox or this type of thing. And that can make anyone more propensity, uh, higher propensity to bleed, including patients with bronchiectasis. So it may actually start as a very small bleed, can persist a little bit longer if you're on blood thinners. Um, also, patients on antiplatelets or aspirin or Plavix, that type of thing, can certainly make them a little more prone to having these episodes. One of the, something else I wanted to mention since we were just, um, you know, discussing fungal etiologies or, or causes of hemoptysis is I, I've had some patients report to me or note, oh, well, you know, there was a period of time where I lived in the desert Southwest. Ah, uh, yes. I know and, where you're going. Yep. <laughs> and I was diagnosed with something called valley fever. Now the the name of the fungus that cause, causes that is called coccidioides. And they'll want to know if they're at increased risk for bleeding or, you know, there, or, or there will be a discussion surrounding that. And most of the time with these, what we call them dimorphic fungal infections, and that's just describing what, what these pathogens look like when you look at them under the microscope, but these actually rarely cause hemoptysis and, and they're usually um, unique to particular areas of the country. Histoplasmosis um, is, is one of them. Blast, uh, blastomycosis is another. So um, f- for those of you who are maybe living in the Southeast or, you know, uh, the Ohio river valleys for the, for the histo. So just, just to, sort of make mention of these these other causes, but these are really uncommon causes of hemoptysis unless they do erode into one of the mucosal erosion like you referenced before. Yeah, absolutely. And some of these fungal infections too can not only affect the airways themselves, but also the parenchyma. You mentioned aspergillus before, and it's, it's interesting because we used to think of uh, this is sort of black or white. Patients either, you know, have invasive aspergillosis, which is, you know, a true infection versus, you know, a, an allergic response to the aspergillus, which is not a true infection. Some of you may have either been diagnosed with or heard of ABPA or allergic bronchopulmonary aspergillosis. And then, of course, there's the aspergilloma or fungal ball uh, that we just discussed. But it's interesting because more and more we're realizing that people with chronic lung disease even who are not immune suppressed, can develop um, sort of a, a subacute or, or chronic um, invasive aspergillosis. And that can affect not only the airways, but also the lung parenchyma or sort of the lung tissue itself. And, and that can also lead to bleeding. And I would say just in general, it's pretty unusual to see invasive fungal infections and otherwise immune competent people. But for example, mm-hmm. like you referenced mm-hmm. the aspergilloma, we can see all the time in people who have completely normal immune systems. But certainly, you know, when I, and you get these consult, we, we get consulted in tandem. Um, I'm sure Colin, right. You'll be consulted at the same time yes. as the infectious disease specialist on a patient. Tweedledee and what, Tweedledum. 
That's right. A, a patient on the oncology unit who has ha, who is receiving therapy for some type of hematologic malignancy like AML, um, leukemia, and um, they will have some changes on their CT scan and they ask you to do the bronchoscopy and, you know, but these patients typically have um, had a very low white blood cell count called neutropenia for prolonged periods of time. Sometimes these patients are on really high dose steroids. And so these are really... Um, significant risk factors for invasive fungal disease that we don't see in our typical patient with bronchiectasis who is otherwise healthy. So it does beg the question though, because we did raise the issue of, you know, when to be worried. So when, when should you be worried? Because we get asked that question very, very, very frequently in clinic and also uh, over email. In general, certainly if there is life-threatening bleeding, meaning, again, more than about 150 mLs over 24 hours, or if the bleeding continues without tapering. Now, typically when patients with bronchiectasis have one of these bleeds, there are one or two episodes of frank blood. Usually, again, it's that dark red blood or possibly clots. And then it typically lessens or lightens over the subsequent days. If it doesn't go away, if it continues, obviously that's a, a concern. At that point, it would need to be evaluated. But I will tell you that in general, most people with bronchiectasis um, and or non-tuberculous mycobacterial lung disease do not need to be overly worried about coughing up occasional blood. 100% agree. It sounds like we give very similar counseling. I think we do. I think we do. Now, I do have some patients, uh, particularly, like I said, with more advanced bronchiectasis, more cystic bronchiectasis. Again, there's different morphologies of bronchiectasis that we may have addressed during prior episodes, but that more sort of cystic bronchiectasis is more advanced. And those patients do tend to have a little bit more propensity to bleed. And there are some things that can be done for that. Um, there are a number of procedures. Um, some of them are surgical. We talked about resection of that, of that area of the lung. Uh, there's also something that interventional radiology can do, which is called a therapeutic embolization of the blood vessel if, if uh, they're able to isolate the culprit vessel. And then there are also um, other things that we can, medications that we can prescribe. One of them is called TXA or tranexamic acid. Uh, this is usually prescribed for women who have particularly heavy menses and can help with the bleeding, but we also occasionally prescribe it as a rescue medication for patients who have frequent and, uh, and major hemoptysis. Do you use that for catamenial hemoptysis or no? Yes, you can use it also for catamenial hemoptysis. And what that is, is hemoptysis uh, caused by abnormal rests of, of tissue in the, uh, in the airway of uterine tissue, yeah, in the airway. So, so some women uh, during uh, the time of menses will end up coughing up blood, and that's called catamenial uh, hemoptysis. I, I think it's, you know, it's, it's similar, I think, to having endometriosis, right? But it just at a separate site. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. It's endometrial tissue that's resting in, in the bronchus. Um, it's rare, but it, it definitely can occur and is, is well described. So another thing that we get asked a lot about, um, I'm sure Wendy will vouch for this as well, is when to hold airway clearance or should you continue airway clearance through hemoptysis, through these episodes? 
And I'm interested to hear your take, Wendy. I, I, I have a feeling that we're probably, once again, going to dispense similar advice, which is that if it's very minor hemoptysis, just sort of blood-streaked sputum um, or that streaky uh, blood-streaked sputum that we talked about, usually I just tell you to go ahead and continue the airway clearance through that. If it's more frank blood or clots of blood, I may ask you to lay off of the airway clearance for 24 to 48 hours until it starts to ebb. At that point, uh, you know, you can go ahead and reintroduce the airway clearance, usually at one time per day at that point. Again, if it doesn't exacerbate the bleeding, then I, I accelerate it to, uh, to twice per day. One question I have for you, Colin, is do you, so we're talking about airway clearance as a very general descriptive term here, but we know that there are different components to it, right? So people, some people are using flutter valves exclusively, like such as an aerobica or an acapella. Some people are on hypertonic saline. Um, The vast majority of my patients are probably on both. Do you make a distinction? I mean, do you, do you say hold one or the other or hold both? I'm just sort of curious and not trying to put you on the spot. I'm just curious. I rarely prescribe just an OPEP or oscillatory device. I typically uh, do prescribe um, hyper, a, a hyperosmolar agent as well, typically hypertonic sodium chloride. So I, I do tell them to hold both of them um, while, they, while they're having episodes of, of, again, more pronounced hemoptysis. Now, if they, if they just have an, an OPEP device, um, then I, I probably would feel comfortable with having them go ahead and continue to use the OPEP device, either the aerobica or the acapella, whatever uh, device it is that they're using. What about you? Yeah, I, exactly. I, I, I think we give the same advice in this realm. Tweedledee and Tweedledum. Yeah, yeah. Or great minds think alike. Yeah. 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 Well, because the thing is, is with with the with the flutter valves, that can certainly. I don't. I'm trying to think of the best way to describe this. I'm not going to say that it agitates the airways, right? Because it. <laughs> but well, but maybe it, it does it, a little bit, right? Like I was of. trying yeah, to come up with yeah, a better word. Yeah. So, but then you know the saline because it is a, a hyper tonic solution, that can be irritating, right? It can, uh, you know? it can especially at the higher concentration. Absolutely. And I would yeah. say most of my patients are probably on 7%. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Some are on 3%. And, and just as a, oh, by the way, if you're on 7% and feel like that's too irritating, we can decrease you to 3% or you can ask your pulmonologist or your ID doc. Um, mm-hmm. So just knowing that there's a little wiggle room in there, I don't think I have I mean, 10% is what we exclusively use to induce sputums in the hospital. So I, I don't yes. have anyone on 10%. Yeah. But, but it, you know, the point is, is that either one or both can uh, be disruptive <laughs> in that circumstance and maybe potentiate further bleeding. So yeah. it's certainly reasonable to hold off um, for a couple days. I have some patients who really express concern about that because they're doing so well on their airway clearance and they feel like if they're missing it. They, they're somehow cheating or they're going to regress or get worse. Yes. Yeah. I get that a lot as well. Yeah, and yeah. I, I think that's such a yeah testimony to our patient population that they're just very compliant and conscientious and uh, and very concerned about their health which is wonderful uh, but but needless to say holding off on the on the airway clearance for 24 48 hours is not going to be a major setback exactly 
The other thing is, is that, and this is this is not your issue, Colin, because you are the pulmonologist. But I will say, and if there are other patients out there who maybe are being primarily managed by an infectious disease specialist, all of my patients are also established with a pulmonologist, even if I'm the one that's primarily managing their bronchiectasis, mainly because I have that comfort level. But I I do ensure that they have a close relationship with their pulmonologist, so that you know I need someone else to really ultimately help manage that issue, right? It's yeah. And, and if you need a bronch, the, exactly. there's at least somebody who can do exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. I, I did not, I did not do my bronchoscopy training. That's all right. We can, I can give you a crash course the next yeah. time you're in town. Yeah. Well, we hope we've answered your questions about hemoptysis. Again, many of you had questions about it and concerns, so we, we hope that we've thoroughly explained things. In case we haven't, we hope you already know the spiel by now, which is send us a message through our website, ntmtalk.com, where you can also stream our past episodes and leave your comments. You can also find links to helpful resources on NTM and bronchiectasis there. We'd also like to thank our sponsor today, InsMed Incorporated, for their generous support of this podcast. Thank you. Well, Wendy, I think that dot, dot, dot. That's a wrap. That is a wrap. Indeed. Well, until we meet again next week, everyone, stay well.